Welcome to the post-truth world. Those were words that were penned back in 2016. Oxford Dictionary finally put that word in their dictionary because there's been so many people using the post-truth era that we're living in. We're living in a time when truth is not respected. What people want is their feelings met. What people want is to believe a myth rather than the truth. Many of us have heard the words, fake news. We're seeing a lot of that still, even after the election. There's a lot of people who want to believe that because it fills their desires and narrowness in their own hearts. They don't want to believe the truth that sets free. Today in our society, if it feels right or if it sounds right, I want to prove it. But if it's something that requires me to change and be different in my life, I don't want to be part of that. We in our society are living with a carnal list of things that we want to prove. And our society is wanting to approve it because it feels good. And it feels right. But the Bible tells us the truth sets us free. And that we find ourselves in a world where facts and truth, objective truth, and truths delivered through the word of God are mocked. I can tell you when my mom and dad made sure that we knew what was true and what was right. And there was no bargaining about it. And the Bible here says to us today in Jeremiah, it's not in the man that walketh in his steps, because inside the man the heart is deceitful above all things, and it seeks desperately its own wickedness. It's an untrustworthy thing. And as we go through life, many people trust it and they find themselves falling short. We see that in even in the church today. Ideologies and theologies that are subjected to feelings and thoughts rather than to the truth. They've been brought into the fake news and the fake theologies. And the external carnal attitudes are being accepted into the church and drawn in. My friend Scott over here at Pathways, they did a survey of their church members. And over a hundred couples are living together as Christians knowing that it's wrong. We're living in a world that says, well, I don't care what God says. I just want my carnal desires. We're living in a world that hears about social justice that is not just. It's a false, false allegation. We're heard that we're to be woke people. And that wokeness is very wrong. We hear of critical theory. Critical legal theory in the courts. And that critical legal theory is slanted. And the elements of truth are gone. 
And yet there's a biblical justice, not a social justice. The biblical justice of what God wants in his world. And there is no backing down from it. We hear of critical race theory, a critical social theory, and all these very highfalutin terms. But underneath the very things that have been incorporated in them and have caused people to suffer are underneath them are Marxist-oriented critical theory. And these theories are to bring men down. And their ideologies and false truths that started way back even before the civil rights movement back in 1950. And people pride themselves that we're in this post-truth era because there's moral relativism and spiritual relativism that the Bible never talks about in a good way. And what we're hearing is people say, don't confuse me with the facts. My mind's made up. I know what I want. Listen to what Jesus says. They see, but they're blind. They hear, but they don't listen. They don't even try to understand. So like they say of my Isaiah's prophecy came true. You will hear clearly, but never understand. You will see clearly, but never comprehend. These people have come with a closed mind and a hard of hearing. They have shut their eyes so that their eyes never see, their ears never hear, their minds never understand, and they never return to me for healing. Our world is grasping, holding on to this post-truth and holding on to their self-deception. And the Bible tells us there is a benevolent being who is part of the answer here. The God of this world, the devil, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. And as a result, they don't see the light. Since they love delusion. God will send them over to delusion. They will put their faith in falsehood, Paul says in 2 Thessalonians, so that all may be doomed who refuse faith in the truth, but delight in evil. Now we're starting a second series in Peter. And really, it should be 2 Peter 1 through 7 here on our text this morning. And what we find here, if you remember in 1 Peter, Peter had a group of churches that were being persecuted because Rome was being destroyed by Nero by burning, but he was using the Christians as scapegoats, and he was using them so much so that they were being killed for it. But now, several years later, Peter is writing 2 Peter because what has happened in the church, false teaching has infiltrated. And now that the pressure from Rome is kind of dwindling down, 
There were people who brought not the truth to the church, but false teacher. And in the church, Christians became complacent. And they wanted to hear and have their ears tickled with this heresy that made them feel good and look good, but they weren't following the truth. And we know the Bible says the truth sets us free. But they were moving themselves into bondage. And that Peter writes this book. And he confronts the heresies, denouncing the evil motives of the false teachers. He also speaks about Christianity's truths, the authority of Scripture, primarily. The primacy of faith and also Christ's return to judge the world. And what we see here looming large is he wants them to understand what they've obtained first. Simon Peter, bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received the faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Simon Peter knows they had the same faith. He walked with them. He understood what they were going through. And he saw them show this faith tremendously. But now, something's awry. He says, you received the faith, the same kind as ours. You know the righteousness that I have. The seeing through God's eyes, the life that you have. And he uses the exalted title of Jesus as the righteous one, as God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and, and he lifts him high so they understand who he's talking about. And then he says you've had three spiritual commodities that God gives you when you come to Christ. There's, number one, you're secure. Nothing can take you away from Christ. Number two, there's a righteousness though. There's a righteousness that happens within you that you begin to desire the things that God wants. Not walk away from them. Not go with your petty desires. Not go with your fleshly lust. But with the right things of God. Second, he gives you this grace as you walk through life. He protects you and shows you and carries you through the difficulties of life. And he gives you a peace. A peace that's beyond measure, he says. And it's multiplied to you. And how is it multiplied? In your knowledge of God and Jesus Christ. If you've been struggling in your life for peace and joy and happiness, you have to go back into your knowledge of God and go back and learn more about him and he'll bring you the peace and contentment. And it comes by faith in the power that God can do this in you. That he can make you alive when you feel sometimes so dead in your life. Sometimes people go through that midlife crisis. They said they feel so dead inside. Go to Christ. Go learn more about him and put your life on the line for Christ and you will come alive. You watch your friends and what they will say to you and how they will be shocked 
when you open up your heart about your love for Christ, you'll find out where they stand and you will be surprised and very much disappointed even though they carry their Bible to church or they go every Sunday. You may find something deep down in their heart that's not right. We're living in a society right now in the church, you want to watch something interesting. Sean McDowell interviews a guy who's a pastor by the name of Colby, Colby Martin. And Colby Martin, as some of the pastors in evangelical Christianity today, are trying to lead a movement called progressive Christianity. And what happens in progressive Christianity that you leave out some of the standard basic truths of Scripture. They even deny them and water them down. And then they add their own thing because again here, we're in this post-truth era where it's all about feelings and feeling comfortable. And then we wonder why some of the pastors that we hear about who've had affairs and had to leave their large churches because they're following a false gospel. And this progressive Christianity, it doubts the strength of Scripture. Oh, we know more in our society today, so we're not going to follow the Scripture. That's wrong. God's authority of Scripture, as Peter will point out to us later on, is superior to all ages and all time. God's truth never changes. And yet you have these pastors who are trying to deconstruct Christianity. And what they're really doing is old liberalism that comes from the 19th century that was remaked in the 50s, 1950s, and now is being remade again because they've got big churches and they've got a lot of money and they can do what they want. But that's not the scriptures. And they will pay for that. And that we are saved by this Christ who died on the cross. They're saying the resurrection isn't that important. No, it's a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. And their folly will follow them. And tragically, they don't have an anchor. You know, all of us know. We've been through things in our lives, and you know how hard it is when you go through a difficulty in your life. You need an anchor that is way beyond your ability to, to overcome a trial. I know a guy that was a pastor and became a chaplain at a school in Iowa for several years and then he was going to move on to a school in, I believe it was the state of Washington. Now he thought he had strong faith. And he did. But he wrote a book after his experience of realizing the depths that he had to go to in his faith. Because when they were visiting this school, which he was going to be moving to, they were leaving Iowa and they were going to Washington. And they had a caravan. 
And as they were coming home from an event and going back to their motel room, as they were coming across a curve, a drunk came across the line. And as he saw the car, he swerved across the line, and the drunk swerved with him and hit the passenger side of the van. When he came to, the sheriff's officer said that he had a few problems health-wise. But then they told him that his wife who was in the passenger side of the van, had been killed. And then in the second seat, his mother, who went with him, was killed. And then their new baby was killed. And he was left with three children to raise and also to process with them the grief and the sorrow of this loss and put himself back together in order to continue to work. And his part of his therapy was to write this book. And you see, this is what Peter is talking about. He's saying this grace and peace you need to carry you through some of the things that you go through. And it better be a strong anchor in your life. And it will carry you through if you trust Christ. Because you see, that's what you obtain in Jesus Christ. And he says, and he goes on, and he says, there are things that God grants you through that. Seeing that his divine power, there's a power that God puts inside of us through the power of the Holy Spirit that grants to you and to me, it says, everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. We go, and as we go through those crises, as he went through, he has been moved to a wholly different level of his faith because of the divine power that is working inside him as he processes that loss, that tremendous loss, and that it's coming through knowing God who called him by his own glory and excellence. See, this is, Peter wants his people to understand that this power takes the knowledge that we more and more want and learn about God and builds a firm, strong anchor that helps us deal with these things. There are people we've seen, you have seen them too, that have conquered addictions and have conquered things and habits in their life. But they haven't conquered themselves and their lostness before God. 
And God gives people common grace to conquer those things by themselves. But he gives the Christian a whole divine power to overcome them. And that even the war within to doubt God is conquered by that power. There are things that you and I deal with that Peter is saying are inside of us. Paul says it so well. If it was for we live in the world and we do not wage war as the world does, he says we have weapons, divine weapons, that are contrary and have a divine power that demolish strongholds inside of our hearts that demolish arguments and pretenses set against God's knowledge. And we are able to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. My friends, he spent years working through that and seeing that divine power work in his heart through his brokenness. You and I have the same Hearts, that you have different things, different prisons inside your hearts. And you wonder why you do some things or why you do some rebellious things or why you've allowed yourself to fall into a pit. It's because Satan, because our own flesh, the world tells us, our flesh wants to believe the false narrative. And Paul says to us, no, we can wage war with the divine power. You can knock these things out of your life. And you can demolish these strongholds that get a grip on you and don't want you free. Some people, a stronghold can be a refuge to hide from God and stay in sinfulness. Paul says you can demolish that. There are prisons in our hearts that some of us have been locked in that God has the power to break in our hearts. There are strongholds that have a vice grip on an insecurity or a fear or an anxiety or a character defect or a negative mindset or a certain sin that can become captive in our minds hearts. And the Bible says he by his divine power can break those strongholds in you. And even the arguments that come with it, they can be destroyed too. And look at what he says. He can keep you in perfect peace. 
You know, there are 7,000 promises in the Bible that God has made for you. And it's very easy not to see them and to lose sight of them. I was cracking up the other day. I was reading that there are over $2.5 billion of unclaimed tax refunds at the federal government since 2000. Unclaimed. And you can go up on their website and see if maybe you miss one. But people that move and they can't get a hold of them and they can't find them, there's money there sitting for them. And we have the same thing in our lives. God has a whole bunch of stuff of claims and promises for us that we haven't even touched yet. That can give us victory over those things of our past. Those hurts. Those frustrations. That are affecting our personalities and our ways and our lives right now. And we don't even know why we act that way or we feel that way. It's because we don't even remember that little prison house that's locked in our hearts. And why we have that going on inside of us still because it's locked. <laughs> and you see... What we find here is that in verse 4, he says, By these we have granted us precious promises, magnificent promises, so that by them we may be partakers of this divine natures, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. He says God's giving us these promises, and we can break through all this stuff. And that our nature, as we grow in him, and as we feed that in our hearts, we become partakers, and he can break those bonds and chains that we have locked in us to be totally different people. And that we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be angry. We don't have to be frustrated. And the more we put on this divine nature inside of us, the more and more we're going to want to feed our nature with the good stuff and not the garbage. We're going to want to feed ourselves with good things of God that he has for us. That we can finally break the chain that's got us bound. Oh, I remember when I had, when I was younger, I had such a temper. It didn't take much to light my charge. And how God, <laughs> as I began to pray and ask God to change that in me, that I began to look at the word and he began to bring things into my life that began to knock me off my castle. <laughs> And began to change me radically and show me that I wasn't accomplishing much but just making people not happy with me and not like me. 
And that's when it started changing. I can tell you one day God brought something in my life that changed me just like that and made me see how foolish was. I was in my church at a board meeting. And during the day, I had gone to a home where a little girl told me, this 12-year-old girl, told me that her mother would go to the grocery store and her mom was seeing this, I can't even say what I think of him from the pulpit here, seeing this guy and her mom was pregnant with his child. And the girl down the street was pregnant with his child. And this little girl told me that while mom would go to the grocery store, he would babysit for them. And what he was doing to her. And when the mother got home, I told her, I said, we're going to go to the prosecutor's office to take this little girl who had been being raped by this man. And the mother said to me, no, you're not. What? This is a mother saying this about her child. I don't want her to mess up my relationship. And I said to her, I'm taking her. And the mother said to me, well, I'm going to call the cops and charge you with kidnapping. And I'm going, great. Wait till they hear this. They will laugh her right in stock and probably arrest her. And finally, I got her to come with me with her daughter and we prosecuted the man. But leaving that... And going to my board meeting and seeing a group of Christian people on this board fighting, arguing over what color we were going to paint the doors of the church. And one guy had thrown his keys on the table and said, I'm quitting the church over the color of the doors. And I had just come from this little girl who was being raped by this guy and to me it made no sense it was ridiculous and you see this is what Peter talks about that we become partakers and we realize and at that point I realize most of the stuff I got angry about was really not important ridiculous and I saw within these people and I love them dearly and it, they're good people that was so important to them and it was nothing in God's realm I mean does God care what color the doors are <laughs> no. he worried about that girl 
You see, and how easy we could get so foolishly. I mean, think about the arguments we have in our homes or with certain people that we're comfortable. How important are they? And you see, when our nature, and God used that to change my nature, and even more other instances that he's moved in my life to see that I don't know. I, I, I only need to use that anger very minimally because he'll take care of it. And that he's given me the ability to escape from that, to be free. And then, you see, it all determines by our appetite. What are we taking in? Are we constantly wanting the Jesus did get angry. But his anger was righteous. And I looked at my life and I saw there were a lot of times I was angry and I should have never been. And I confess that. And that there's certain things that you need a justified, righteous anger and you love people. But you need what, Dave, you need is to look at my promises and take in the precious promises and take in the divine nature so that you don't act foolishly and sinfully. And so Peter says, you see, he's granted us this power. And we can use it in our lives. But then he says, supplement it. Add to it. And he comes on with seven things. Now for this very reason also, applying with all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. In your moral excellence, knowledge and in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. And those seven things, he begins to push into us as we develop this divine nature growing in us through the power of the Holy Spirit to change us. That moral excellence is keeping your mind pure, Dave. Trusting God by faith that he can make you pure in your thinking. And that moral that comes with the knowledge of knowing him and his heart about sexuality and people that he loves. And in your knowledge, self-control. How to bring it under the lordship of Christ, not letting it get out of control and persevering. Keep on going. Don't give it up. Don't get discouraged when somebody treats you wrong or something happens at home. Don't let those little things set you off and send you off on a different pathway. I see so many Christians sometimes go off on a different pathway because they're fretting around the wrong things. David said it, and he should have listened to his own advice. Fret not against evildoers. Sometimes we fret about the wrong things. And he says, persevere. 
keep on fighting. You remember Timex? <laughs> I remember when a little kid that watched that advertisement. I love it when they tie that Timex watch to the propeller, and, and it would go for hours, and then they pull out of water, and what would they say? It takes a licking, but keeps on ticking. That's what we're to be about, folks. Keep on ticking. Don't throw in the towel. Don't get discouraged because it just doesn't work out your way. Have the moral courage to stand no matter what and to keep on pressing for godliness. Look at that. That perseverance leads to the godliness. That's where you really need to trust God and not throw in the towel. Even though you want to just blow or you want to just let the godliness flow. And with that godliness comes brotherly kindness. Kindness that works. That enjoys God. It's like the teacher who said to her class, what ways do you see God? I want you to draw a picture. One little boy drew a a rainbow. Another little boy drew a picture of Superman. And then a, a little girl, she drew a picture and said, well, who is that? He said, that's my mother. She reminds me of what God's about. Whoa. It's so easy to catch a drift. The false truth that's out there. And how easy it is to fall into that. They teach you when the tide and the surf is going that you swim against it and you move against it and alongside of it and to get out of it so you can. And, and there's some people who just drift and they find them drifting miles away. This is what's happened in this church because they refuse to go back to the truth, to their anchor. It happens to Christians because we're afraid to go back to our anger because we're afraid what the world's going to say. The false narrative the post-truth era. We want to hear what we want to hear. Don't buy it. Instead, buy what Christ has given to you. His word and its truth. The Bible tells us many will have itching ears in the last day. And they will not listen to accurate truth. Instead, they will follow their desires and surround themselves with teachers who tell them what they want to hear. The myths. And we need to walk in the truth. And let me tell you something, friends. Stand in that truth. And when your friends share a non-truth, lovingly tell them that's wrong. You know how many non-truths there are out there? It's dozens. 
For instance, some of them that I have heard from people that I love, not even go to church. One person said to me, all religions basically are the same. We're all going to get to heaven. No, that's not true. There's only one way to get to heaven. Through Jesus Christ. Not all religions are the same. All the other religions, you have to work your way into heaven. Be good. Do all those good things. And maybe uh, it's only through Jesus. And we do good because we love him and want to thank him. There's some people who believe that religion is just a matter of their own personal preference and it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe something. What? Please. I could believe that I believe that I put some eye drops in my eyes and they could be acid <laughs> and it could blind me. Oh, I believed that they were the drops, but they wound up being acid that still blinds me. Or I don't have to listen to what the Bible says. <laughs> well, where are you going to get your moral values from? Or God doesn't matter if I hook up with a girl or a guy before marriage. Yes, he does. God says something about that in the Bible. Or repentance only means confessing my sins and asking forgiveness. Then I'm good to go. I don't have to follow. If I want to go back and do it again, I can. No. God's unconcerned about what I watch on TV or my movies or things I look at on the computer. He doesn't mind. No, that's not true. You see, this is the world's view that wants to turn us around. Doesn't want us following what Jesus wants. It's a post-truth era. But you see, the world thinks that the Bible is negotiable. It's not negotiable. There's no negotiation in it. It's the truth. And when you believe the truth, it sets you free. Let's pray together. Lord, I want to thank you for providing us with what we need in life. And I thank you that not only do you give us things that we can do, but you give us the power to execute them in our lives and to overcome sin and the stuff inside of us that's not good. And I ask you by your Holy Spirit, continue to work in our hearts with that divine power. Turn us around. Help us to see what is good and then participate and empower what you've given to us to be totally different than the world. And help us, Jesus, not to be able to free stand in front of our friends and the world and show them you're the better way because you're the only way. 
Help us to trust that in our own personal lives and depend on your divine empowerment to do it. And it's through you, Jesus, we boldly pray this. Amen. Please stand for the benediction and we can sing our closing song. And now go in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God your Father, and the power of the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen.